continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-token lovers of liberty. It is Monday, February 13th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 888, and coming up on today's show, in the Cannabis Focus, we'll examine how President Trump is channeling President Nixon. In drug war data mining, we examine new legalization polls and gauge which arguments work best to convince the undecided. Dr. Mitch Earlywine will join us at half past to get us up to date on all the latest cannabis science. And for today's radical rant, I'll show you the decades crime lab, crime lab scandals that tainted over 50,000 criminal cases. Plus, at hour two, we'll tell you all about Trump's health secretary ignoring medical marijuana questions, reform measures pending in the states, Project Sam's first hired lobbyist, marijuana-sponsored athletes, and a country calling for premarital drug testing. But first... Let's get to the marijuana headlines. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your marijuana headline news for Monday, February 13th, 2017. Oregon state legislators are moving toward consolidating the state's medical and recreational marijuana industries into one regulatory system. The co-chairwomen of the Joint Committee on Marijuana Regulation have dropped several bills that would move regulation of medical marijuana from the Oregon Health Authority to the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, the regulatory agency for recreational sales of marijuana. Another proposal would establish a separate agency specifically for cannabis regulation. Part of the idea of splitting up regulation was to keep medical costs down for patients. OLCC instituted much more strict and expensive regulations to report and track product, while OHA's system relied largely on self-reporting. OHA also charges lower fees for registration and for licensing. Wisconsin Attorney General Brad Schimmel says that the Medical community, medical community should decide whether marijuana is suitable medicine and not state lawmakers. Democratic legislators have proposed legalizing medical marijuana after Republican State Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said he's open to the idea. But the effort faces long odds given opposition from Republican Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald and Governor Scott Walker. Schimmel told reporters in St. Paul, Minnesota Monday that he doesn't think the decision should be made by lawmakers. He said that power should rest with the Food and Drug Administration and medical organizations which haven't recognized the drug as medicine. Schimmel says marijuana is a gateway drug that can frequently lead to more dangerous drug abuse. Three months after Florida voters overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment on medical marijuana, state health officials and prospective pot-seeking patients are at odds over proposed rules that would spell out who could get marijuana. State officials have recommended restrictions on what type of patients can qualify for medical marijuana and where they can obtain it. Their suggestions, however, have prompted a wave of opposition across the state, with nearly 1,300 residents attending what are normally low-key bureaucratic hearings to press for less restricted access to marijuana. 
Activist one requirement eliminated that a patient must be under a prescribing physician's care for at least 90 days. They also believe it should be up to doctors to deem when medical marijuana is necessary and not be confined by the conditions enumerated in the amendment or by the Board of Medicine. Virginia Lieutenant Governor Ralph S. Northam on Monday called for decriminalization of small amounts of marijuana in Virginia, saying enforcement is expensive and disproportionately jails African Americans. Northam grows, joins a growing list of Virginia politicians interested in the issue. Late last year, Senate Majority Leader Thomas K. Norman Jr., a Republican of James City, questioned whether possession of small amounts of marijuana should remain a crime. Norman, in December, requested a study of the issue from the Virginia State Crime Commission. Because of the pending legislation, because of the pending study, legislation from Senator Adam Ebbing, a Democrat of Alexandria, was put on hold this year. Eben has proposed changing punishment for possession of small amounts of marijuana from a criminal misdemeanor to a civil fine. Starting tomorrow, all edible pot products sold through Washington State's legal marijuana system will bear a label telling consumers that they are not for kids. The label bears a red hand and a written warning, along with a number for the Washington Poison Control Center that people can call if they are worried that they or a child might have overdosed. State licensed marijuana processors are required to either incorporate the warning label onto their packaging for marijuana edibles or put a sticker with the warning label on the products. This has been your Marijuana Headline News for Monday, February 13th, 2017. I'm Russ Belfeld. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents... The anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Do you want to lose weight fast and have all your hair and teeth fall out? If so, methamphetamine could be right for you. Shooting meth has really improved my self-esteem. My teeth draw tons of attention. I get so much done in such little time. Look at all my scabs. And I've met all kinds of interesting people. You'll be amazed at what meth can do for you. Meth is not for everyone. Symptoms may include paranoia, hallucinations, loss of sex appeal, skin irritations, loss of brain cells, memory loss. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Okay, maybe you're hot, too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me say that yeah baby (laughs) a public service message from the russ belleville show 
The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we want to take a look at President Donald Trump, who is going full Nixon on law and order and vows a, quote, ruthless war on drugs. Philip Smith has written this up for the uh, Drug War Chronicle. He makes a lot of great points with this, uh, of Trump reverting back to harsh drug war rhetoric and a series of executive orders to back it up. He was talking to law enforcement professionals, a bunch of sheriffs and other cops at the Major Cities Chiefs Association last Wednesday when President Trump said, quote, We're going to stop the drugs from pouring in. We're going to stop those drugs from poisoning our youth, from poisoning our people. We're going to be ruthless in that fight. We have no choice. And we're going to take that fight to the drug cartels and work to liberate our communities from their terrible grip of violence. End quote. Trump also criticized President Obama for his record of drug sentence commutations over 1,700 drug prisoners who uh, had their sentences reduced or eliminated by the president more than the past, I think, 11 presidents combined. Uh, Trump said that Obama, quote, freed record numbers of drug traffickers, many of them kingpins, end quote. And uh, continuing to the uh, best of the 1980s, he called for harsher mandatory minimum drug prison sentences for the most serious drug offenders and aggressive prosecution of drug traffickers and cracking down on, quote, shipping loopholes that he claims allow drugs to be sent to the U.S. from other countries. Now, uh, of course, last Thursday, he had the swearing-in ceremony for Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and while he was there, he signed three executive orders that seemed to signal an increasingly authoritarian response to crime, drugs, and discontent with policing practices, writes Philip Smith. First executive order is one that would, quote, reduce crime and restore public safety. And what it does is it orders Attorney General Sessions to create a new task force on crime reduction and public policy. And its job is to come up with, quote, strategies to reduce crime, including, in particular, illegal immigration, drug trafficking, and violent crime. And the Attorney General will then propose legislation to implement those strategies and submit the report to the President within a year. The second executive order signed by Donald Trump last Thursday was regarding, quote, transnational criminal organizations and preventing drug trafficking. And it directs various federal law enforcement agencies to increase intelligence sharing and orders an already existing intra-agency working group to submit a report to President Trump within four months describing the progress they've made in combating the cartels, quote, along with any recommended actions for dismantling them. I'm directing the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security to undertake all necessary and lawful actions to break the back of the criminal cartels that have spread across our nation and are destroying the blood of our youth and other people. End quote. And the third executive order from President Trump directs the Justice Department to use federal law to prosecute people who commit crimes against police officers, despite the fact that almost every state you can think of 
already mandates far more severe penalties under their state laws for crimes against police officers. President Trump said, quote, It's a shame what's been happening to our truly great, truly great law enforcement officers. That's going to stop as of today. End quote. So we're getting war on drugs rhetoric. We're getting increasing mandatory minimums. We're going to stop the scourge of drugs that leads to violence and crime and protect our police officers. That's the attitude that we get from the Trump administration right now. Now, people are pushing back at this. The drug reform organizations and other criminal justice organizations are pushing back to try to tell President Trump and his administration that we've been down this road before. We did the whole mandatory minimums thing. We did the whole war on crime, tough on drugs thing throughout the 1970s and the 1980s. And it led our nation to having the highest rate and overall number of incarcerated citizens in the history of the world. We imprison more people than China does, communist China, and they have 1.3 billion people. We have more people in prison overall than China does. And we have more people in as a percentage in our prisons, about 25, 23 to 25% uh, of the world's prisoners reside in the United States of America, the land of the free. You have to uh, take the next three countries combined to match what we have in prisoners. Now, either our people are exceptionally evil, terrible criminals running rampant, or we're doing something very different than the rest of the world does. Now, the uh, report came out from law enforcement leaders to reduce crime and incarceration. A former police chief of the city of Dallas, David Brown, uh, was a co-author of this. And this is the guy, remember Dallas, he was uh, uh, the chief who uh, had to respond after five cops were killed, were ambushed uh, last year. He says, quote, decades of experience have convinced us of a sobering reality. Today's crime policies, which too often rely on jail and prison only, are simply ineffective in preserving public safety, end quote. They're, they're saying this tough crackdown on crime, we, it didn't work. And what the Obama administration was doing to reform our criminal justice system was the right direction. That's what will work. That's what we're learning from this. And unfortunately, it seems as though reality doesn't matter in the Trump administration. Uh, John Oliver last night did a fantastic piece explaining how they live in an alternate reality, and it's a reality they manufacture in order to advance their agenda, advance their goals. So it doesn't matter that the war on drugs didn't work. It doesn't matter that we have mass incarceration, because in their minds, or at least what they want people to believe is in their minds, they think crime is out of control, that violence is rampant in this country when the crime rates are at the lowest levels we've ever seen. Now, uh, according to uh, the report, Philip Smith's report, uh, his piece is uh, Trump goes full Nixon on law and order. And uh, in this uh, report, he says that the uh, the tough talk and, uh, and the executive orders 
provoked immediate alarm, and that the president's crime plan would encourage police to focus on general lawbreaking rather than violent crime. Now, this is that this is that Giuliani era, era uh, uh, broken windows theory of policing. The idea that you don't focus on the violent crime, you focus on the little crime, the, the, the broken windows, the graffiti, the littering, the vandalism, the minor drug use, because by concentrating on those, you create an a atmosphere of, of law-abiding and, and, and a system of order that will then reduce crime in the greater crimes, reduce those crimes, uh, uh, because you have a more orderly society. In a sense, it's kind of a criminal justice trickle-up theory. If we bust the little fish, it'll trickle up and reduce crime above. And of course, it did not work. It led to more crime. So they they want to go back to that. Uh, The Justice Department spends about $5 million a year, $5 billion, dollars a year to support local police, and much of that is spent on, quote, antiquated law enforcement tools such as dragnet enforcement of lower-level offenses, and Trump's plan would, quote, repeat this mistake. We cannot fund all crime-fighting tactics, end quote. So that that broken windows system of policing they want to go back to, $5 billion a year spent on just let's just round up all the low-level drug dealers, all the gangbangers, all the, the little crime, and uh, we ignore what happens in the uh, big crime. Bill Piper from uh, Drug Policy Alliance said, quote, this rhetoric is dangerous, disturbing, and dishonest. We have had a war on drugs. It has failed. Tough talk may look good before the cameras, but history has taught us that cracking down on drugs and building walls will not stop the supply or use of drugs. It mostly causes the death and destruction of innocent lives. Trump must tone down his outrageous rhetoric and threats and instead reach out to leadership from both parties to enact a humane and sensible health-based approach to drug policies that both reduce overdose and our country's mass incarceration crisis. This is something that is self-evident to anybody who's paying attention to the reality-based community. There was a 2013 study that came out in the British Medical Journal that found that Even though we spent billions and billions of dollars on drug prohibition since 1990, prices went down and purity increased. For all drugs, except cannabis, prices of cannabis went up. The authors concluded, quote, These findings suggest that expanding efforts at controlling the global illegal drug market through law enforcement are failing, end quote. And even when we had these massive drug war tactics, the rate of illicit drug use among kids was going up. We've now seen since we've started legalization and regulation and better youth prevention and education efforts, the rate of cigarette smoking to have gone down to its lowest measured levels ever. Well, that wasn't expected. (laughs) Sometimes the automation software has a mind of its own, people. I do what I can. A lot of buttons to push here. 
I am so full of anticipation that my genitals are sucked up into my body cavity. <laughs> that sounds very uncomfortable. Hey, folks, it's 20 after the hour. That means it's 4.20 in Colorado and the rest of the mountain time zone. Smoke them if you got them. We're going to take a break for our safety meeting. When we come back, we've got some drug war data mining for you. We're going to take a look at two new polls on legalization, plus take a look at some of the uh, best arguments for marijuana legalization. Stay tuned. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we have two polls and a survey to take a look at. The first one coming out of the state of Michigan, a new poll showing majority support for marijuana legalization in the state. It was an epic MRA poll, uh, Educational Political Industrial Consumer Market Research Analysis, epic MRA, uh, out of Lansing, conducted the poll in January and February of this year. It showed that 57% of 600 people surveyed said they would definitely, probably, or lean toward voting yes on a ballot question about legalizing marijuana in Michigan with certain conditions. That result is up four points compared to a similar poll from March of 2016. Am I legalized from, uh, am I legalized 28, which is working to legalize in 2018, uh, is uh, lauding the poll. Uh, Attorney Jeff Hank, the leader of MI Legalized 2018, says, quote, we commend Michigan Normal for commissioning the poll question. The continuity of this poll lends credibility to the results and establishes this as a reliable gauge of public sentiment, end quote. Now, of course, in 2016, MI Legalized uh, turned in 354,000 signatures to get legalization on the ballot, but they ended up getting screwed out of a ballot position thanks to a state rule on uh, signature validity uh, that required them to be within 180 days. MI Legalized disagreed with the interpretation, but uh, were unable to get on the ballot. Senator Rick Jones, a Republican, said he supports medical marijuana, but as a former police officer, doesn't support legalizing recreational marijuana. He says legalizing pot could lead to more accidents on Michigan roads and other problems. He also cited the Not Your Father's Woodstock weed trope that, quote, the marijuana that we have today is much stronger than the marijuana many people grew up with in the 60s and the 70s. This more powerful, it's dangerous, it causes more bad health effects, end quote. He also said that it will only increase unemployment because most employers don't want to hire people that use marijuana and that there's no hope of making it through the legislature. Now, in other news, we go out to the U.S. territory of Guam, where a recent survey from Simon Sanchez High School. First of all, let me just pause and say, how cool would it be to have polling in your high school class, right? Like, your, your class's job is to poll people. That would have been a fun class. Anyway, uh, Simon Sanchez High School found that 60% of Guam adults oppose legalizing Marijuana for adult use. This is a advanced placement government students. They polled 1,048 individuals, and the uh, out of 1,048, 632 of them objected to legalizing marijuana. About a third of them said it sends a bad message to our youth about drugs. Yeah, the old bad message trope. That's the uh, we don't want to send the wrong message to the kids. What is the message we send to the kids when marijuana is illegal? 
We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to teach you about it. You're on your own. Now, Guam has passed a medical marijuana law, the Joaquin Concepcion II Compassionate Care Use Act. This was in 2014. The governor there, Eddie Calvo, last month introduced legislation to legalize and tax adult recreational use. He believes it could be a multi-million dollar industry for Guam. But uh, again, most of the people, the majority, especially in the middle age and elderly groups, at 64 and 71% respectively, support marijuana prohibition. That's on the island territory of Guam. Now, another uh, study has come out, uh, this one entitled Public Perceptions of Arguments Supporting and Opposing Recreational Marijuana Legalization. And the uh, researchers of this uh, have have it uh, uh, published in Preventative Medicine. And what they found is they asked people about particular arguments used to support or oppose marijuana legalization and judged which of these arguments were most effective in making the case, either for pro-legalization or for anti-legalization. And what they found is that money was the biggest motivator for people to want to vote for legalization. They were most likely to agree with arguments highlighting legalization's potential to increase tax revenue. 63.9% agreed with legalization for the reasons of increasing tax revenue. And 62.8% agreed with arguments to reduce prison overcrowding. These were much more powerful messages than the anti-legalization messages of reducing motor vehicle crashes, 51.8%, or protecting the health of our youth at 49.6%. The arguments against legalization that resonated best with the people in this survey was the conflict between state and federal marijuana laws at 63%, so just about the same as the reduced prison overcrowding argument, and the assertion that legalization will fail to eliminate the black market, 57.2%, Uh, found that a compelling reason to vote against legalization. So the economic arguments seem to be the ones that are the most powerful, which gives me pause for concern. Because we have been seeing the prices of marijuana plummet as marijuana becomes more available, more cultivated, and legalization spreads throughout the country. These tax revenue arguments are very powerful when you're talking about a 10 or 20 or 30% tax on a $300 ounce. That ounce gets down to $30. I don't think those arguments are going to be quite as compelling. All right, stay tuned. When we come back, we'll get Dr. Mitch Earlywine on the line with our cannabis Q&A, taking a look at the latest studies, surveys, and science on marijuana. State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch. And uh, Dr. Mitch, how are you doing today? I'm freezing my ass off. How are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty cold up there in the Northeast. Uh, we uh, hope you got to <laughs> keep yourself warm up there. Uh, our question lines are open. We've got two different chat rooms now because we're on YouTube as well. So I'm, I'm watching both YouTube and the uh, cannabis radio stream. And my apologies to the listeners out there who uh, I pushed the wrong mute. And uh, they were on mute there for uh, the, the 
commercial break. But uh, we do have a question. <laughs> That's such a new setup, Dr. Mitch. I got so many buttons and stuff to push. Oh, my God. But anyway, we had a question. I need that button for faculty meeting. <laughs> there we go. We have a question already, though, coming from one of the chat rooms uh, that wants to ask, can we finally acknowledge that CBD equals hemp uh, as far as when they, when, they, when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the Controlled Substances Act, when it comes to uh, regulating it, that it should be treated like hemp? Is that something uh, that you see on the horizon? I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, but unfortunately, CBD is still a, a cannabinoid and, and unfortunately gets confused with psychoactive marijuana and thus ends up uh, part of that Schedule One mishmash. I know that there are websites saying we're, we're legal in all 50 states, but un- unfortunately, that's that's really not the case. I think it should be the case, but I think THC should be legal in all 50 states, so maybe I'm not the guy to ask. Mm, all right, and uh, it doesn't look like we'll get any favorable movement in the right direction under this administration. It looked like Obama's administration was kind of moving that way, but uh, we're just getting a lot of drug war rhetoric out of the Trump administration. What What are your feelings on what you've seen so far in these first three weeks? Uh, given how much random stuff has happened, I'm trying to be prepared for anything. But I, I don't see Jeff Sessions suddenly saying, hey, CBD sounds good to me. Just feel free to put it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. All right, let's take a look at some of the studies and uh, surveys that have uh, come across the desk here over the past week. One of these, uh, I, I got this uh, information through uh, Michael Kravitz, who works with Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access, and he was pointing out how they were trying to add post-traumatic stress to Colorado's medical marijuana law and how the people from Project SAM were using this new study out of Yale University that supposedly says that uh, there are worse outcomes for PTSD patients who use cannabis medically to treat those symptoms. I know it's not never been your number one uh, go-to as far as PTSD goes, but what do we make of this study? Well, so unfortunately, it's, it's more complicated than they're pretending What's really happened here is there's a subset of folks who are at the VA trying to get treatment for PTSD, and they're having a really hard time. And what a surprise for us. The ones who are having the hardest time are the ones who end up turning to cannabis. So I'm afraid this isn't a sign that cannabis is making PTSD worse so much as it is a sign that folks with the worst PTSD may be turning to cannabis. I unfortunately am in a weird situation because I have a a client right now who's a vet who's really good about showing up to exposure sessions without uh, smoking anything during the daytime, but he does use cannabis at night to help him sleep, and he's doing great right now. I feel like the overextension of cannabis as a cure-all has been a problem, but also this wicked dichotomizing about cannabis being completely inappropriate is also uh, incorrect as well. We have a call coming in on our phone lines, but I don't know that I can pick this one up and keep you on the line, so I'm going to have to decline it for now. I haven't worked out that kink, and I'm not quite ready to, I don't think. Uh, Let's go on to our next study here, which uh, is... It's not really a study. It's more uh, your thoughts on what we've seen out of a couple of studies recently uh, in that uh, we've seen the decline in the teen use of just about all drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. And I'm just wondering, 
what are the factors that lead kids to want to try or not try drugs? What is leading to this decline? Uh, is it the legalization of marijuana or are there other factors involved? Well, so what's funny is before anybody even had, you know, medical cannabis on the books, there were some standard predictors of use, and it was almost always availability and perceived harm. And I think what we thought was going to happen is, oh, more and more people will have access to cannabis. People will see that it's not very harmful for adults. And unfortunately, then the teens are going to jump in there and we're going to all be in trouble. Oh, no. In fact, teens have been surprising us with their intelligence and their ability to make sense of data. And I think the fact that we are saying, hey, there are definite medical uses for cannabis has improved our credibility. So then when we have, you know, Stacey Gruber or somebody like that say, you know what, maybe teen use isn't such a great idea. Check out uh, these brain structure data on the folks who start using heavily early in life. They're listening. And they're saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait it out. It'll be okay. And there's something about taking away that rebellious forbidden fruit quality of it that I think may be uh, helping out. So when uh, cannabis becomes like uh, mom and dad's Chardonnay, it's just not as exciting anymore. Sad but true. All right. Let's uh, take a look at this story that was uh, appeared on weednews.co about uh, the access to marijuana leading to less use of alcohol and Pills. Uh, this is referencing some data from that Ease, uh, the marijuana delivery service in California. But uh, we've seen this as far as uh, opioids go. But is this a is this a trend now to extend broader into alcohol and and drugs in general? Well, so we've seen it go both ways with alcohol, and uh, some large economics uh, data sets have gone uh, both that alcohol increases with medical uh, availability and that alcohol decreases. I'm not sure exactly how this crew gathered their data. So this is sort of the delivery service gang that um, basically can, can make it so you can get marijuana uh, to your house in, in California. I can't imagine they really have any reason to, to make this up one way or another. It certainly makes sense to me that uh, hard drug use would drop when you've got cannabis available, particularly given the, the quality of cannabis we have now. And we have seen these really impressive decreases in opiate-related uh, overdoses from that 2014 JAMA study we talked about before. So I'm, I've got to admit this, this is certainly consistent with other stuff we've seen, and I, I hope it uh, really will replicate. There could be some worry that uh, if it, it does replicate, we might get more uh, opposition from pharmaceutical and alcohol industries when we try to legalize elsewhere. Well, I know they hate the truth, but we're just going to have to hope it wins out. That's right. All right. Uh, there was a study that came out from UC Davis uh, on California medical marijuana that showed there were some molds, there was some contamination on these products. And California, while they're working on their testing standards and getting that up to par, they're, they're not there yet. Of course, consumers in unregulated states have no chance of it being a tested product. So what can consumers out there do to protect themselves from tainted marijuana? What are some of the signs? How, what are some of the warning signs? I mean, I hate to say it. The thing we really need to do is legalize, regulate, and test. But uh, in the meanwhile, if you smell some crazy mold or see some fungus on there, obviously you don't want to use that. By all means, if you're at a dispensary, ask them, hey, do you guys test 
for these kinds of things. And if they can't give you a straight answer, try to find another dispensary. When I was literally in college, everybody said, heat your oven up to 200 degrees, spread your cannabis out on a on a tray, put it in there, turn the oven off and, and wait it out. Sort of like the way we've been talking about decarboxylating and that that was supposed to kill bacteria and fungus. I've been on Google Scholar uh, basically for the last hour since you sent me this link, and I think that may have just been an urban legend. So, so I honestly don't know if that's true or not. I got to admit, we relied on it quite a bit back in the eighties. If if you do have a a bad bud that's got some bud rot or mold or fungus, I mean, can you pick parts of it off and still, you know, like you do with a cheese that's got mold on it, you just cut the little mold part off. The rest of it's all right. Can you do that with cannabis? That. Sadly, it's unlikely because if there's a, a, a concentration that you can actually see, odds are high there's a comparable one that you can't see somewhere in that same bag. I I, I, I mean, the thought of throwing away pot I know is really hard on, on some of our listeners, but as as uh, inexpensive as the as the underground market has gotten, uh, I, I really feel like it's just not worth the risk. Okay, and um... – Let's go on to this next study because this is something, you know, we've uh, talked about glioma, a form of brain cancer in the past. And now it looks as though we're getting some studies in uh, showing that these cannabis oil treatments are helping patients with this type of brain cancer. Uh, what are What is the latest on this? So this was done by GW Pharmaceuticals. I do not uh, own that stock anymore, so I don't feel like I have to do my usual um cautions about about that. I, I, I can say that they've been super good about uh, cannabis-oriented sprays, and uh, they're essentially getting a longer survival for this group that has a THC-CBD combination than uh, the placebo group. And it's, you know, it's 550 days versus 369 days. I realize it's not, it's not like they're even twice as, living twice as long or anything like that. But when, you know, when you're at the end of life like this, I feel like every day really counts. And I I, uh, I always talk about effect sizes uh, interpreted with the dependent variable. And when the dependent variable is literally death, I would say this is uh, some compelling evidence despite the small sample size and, and what we usually think of as a small effect. Okay. And our final uh, study to look at today uh, has to do with youth and their use of cannabis. And it says that uh, if they wait until age 17, it may uh, help protect their developing brains. We've always heard, uh, you know, the, the brains developing until age 25. Is this rolling back that age or is this something different? It just turns out this is a, sort of a first step towards that. And if you can wait to 25, I think there are advantages that this data set simply could not uh, address, but the the line at 18 we've had uh, from those old data on gray and white matter. Uh, again, Stacy Grouper's lab has shown some comparable things. You definitely don't want heavy use early in life, and the later you wait to try, the better things really turn out. This study in particular, you also are noticing some of the deficits are on the sort of IQ tests that go with stuff you should have learned in school. So I'm afraid some of these were kids who may have been high at school and just never really encoded uh, some information that I think of as important that uh, I'm afraid your average person doesn't. And I want to emphasize this is at the University of Montreal. This is a new data set. This is not just rehashing some of the old stuff that we've uh, talked about before. 
So uh, these are French-speaking kids. It's not uh, the Boston data or the stuff we've seen from Peter Fried in the, in the past. So I really do feel like the message to wait is one that we can say with some real relevance. All right. Thank you, Dr. Mitch, and we'll speak to you again next Monday. All right, man. Looking forward to it. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they aim you say that i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that a public service message from the rust belleville show total war against public enemy number one and federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug legalization is just another word for surrender i experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale this is not medicine this is a cheech and chong show encourage people to use less drugs i admit that was that was the point i think we've made a mistake to leave negative reports coming out of colorado don't smoke marijuana 64-year-old man in Orlando, Florida, was arrested by police for what they believed to be methamphetamine. He was handcuffed, taken to jail, strip-searched, and then sat there for 10 hours while he came up with $2,500 for his bail. But his alleged meth turned out to be flakes of sugar glaze from a Krispy Kreme donut. So how did a senior's donut habit get him arrested for meth? Because the field drug tests that are used by police officers across America are highly inaccurate and give false positives much of the time. Last July, the New York Times reported on this and found that there's no established error rates for field tests and their accuracy varies widely. Data from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement lab system show that 21% of evidence that the police listed as methamphetamine after identifying it was not methamphetamine. 21%. And half of those false positives were not any kind of illegal drug at all. In one Florida county, Hillsborough County, their sheriff's deputies produced 15 false positives for meth in the first seven months of 2014. That's from the New York Times. Now, in other words, one in 10 motorists subjected to a field drug test for meth was a completely innocent person in possession of no drug, just like this man. Guy's name is Daniel Rushing, and he had just dropped off 
one of his friends from a chemotherapy appointment and had stopped off at the 7-Eleven store to pick up another friend. Now, staking out that 7-Eleven was Corporal Shelby Riggs Hopkins. And she was there because of reports of drug activity in the area. So Corporal Riggs Hopkins saw Mr. Rushing fail to come to a complete stop as he was leaving the parking lot. So she tailed him and then pulled him over for driving 42 in a 30 mile per hour zone. Now, while he was producing his driver's license, the corporal saw that he had a concealed weapons permit. And he admitted to having a gun in his lawful possession, so, for her safety, she asked him to step out of the car. That's when Mr. Rushing learned a valuable lesson about our Fourth Amendment. Corporal Riggs Hopkins shined her flashlight into the car and spotted, quote, a rock-like substance on the floorboard where his feet were. This is what she wrote in her report, adding, quote, I recognize through my 11 years of training and experience as a law enforcement officer the substance to be some sort of narcotic, end quote. The corporal then asked for Mr. Rushing's permission to search the car, and he voluntarily agreed. And when they asked him why, he said, well, I didn't think I had anything to hide. Well, now after he's been strip-searched and jailed over donut glaze, he seems to have learned his lesson, he told the Orlando Sentinel, quote, I'll never let anyone search my car again, end quote. But uh, when they did the search, uh, the corporal and other officers at the scene collected four small flecks of the donut glaze as the Orlando Sentinel wrote it up, quote, uh, this was the uh, uh, Mr. Rushing said, quote, I kept telling him, that's glaze from a donut. They tried to say it was crack cocaine at first. Then they said, no, it's meth, crystal meth, end quote. And the arrest report confirms that he tried to tell them. Corporal Riggs Hopkins wrote, quote, Rushing stated that the substance is sugar from a Krispy Kreme donut that he ate. I think the irony of all this is if you think there'd be anybody on the planet who could identify the flecks of donut glaze, it would be cops, wouldn't it? But uh, she whips out the standard field drug test kit. They got these little things, you know, little vials. You drop the suspected substance in, it changes color, tells you what the drug is. She whips out one of those kits, drops in one of the flecks of sugar. It comes up positive for amphetamine. So she reruns the test, and again, it comes up positive for amphetamine. Thanks to that test, that's all the evidence she needed to then arrest Mr. Rushing, read him his Miranda rights, and charge him with possession of meth with a firearm. Within the next three days, the state crime lab runs its test on the material and determines that it is not an illegal substance, and the state attorney's office drops the charges. Now, the Orlando Police Department standing by the arrest, saying it's a lawful arrest, despite a lawsuit now filed by Mr. Rushing for damages. The uh, OPD couldn't explain why two separate field drug tests on the sugar came up positive for meth. A spokesperson for OPD revealed but they have no idea how often false positives cause false arrests of innocent people. Writing to the Orlando Sentinel, quote, At this time, we have no responsive records. There is no mechanism in place for easily tracking the number of, or results of, field drug testing, end quote. And Florida's Department of Law Enforcement is unable to determine its rate of false positive tests or corroborate the New York Times claim that they've got a 21% false positive rate for meth. And the Times also reported last summer that the government's been warning for four decades now that these field tests are junk science. This is from the New York Times again. 
Quote, in a 1974 study, however, the National Bureau of Standards warned that the kits should not be used as sole evidence for the identification of a narcotic or drug of abuse. Police officers were not chemists, and chemists themselves had long ago stopped relying on color tests, preferring more reliable mass spectrographs. By 1978, the Department of Justice had determined that field tests should not be used for evidential purposes, and the field tests in use today remain inadmissible at trial in nearly every jurisdiction. Instead, prosecutors must present a secondary lab test using more reliable methods. But this has proved to be a meaningless prohibition. Most drug cases in the United States are decided well before they reach the trial, in the far more informal process of plea bargaining. In 2011, RTI International, a nonprofit research group based in North Carolina, found that prosecutors in 9 out of 10 jurisdictions it surveyed nationwide accepted guilty pleas based solely on the results of these field drug tests. And in the Times' own reporting, we confirmed that prosecutors or judges accept plea deals on that basis in Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Jacksonville, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Newark, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, San Diego, Seattle, and Tampa. That's from the New York Times. So let this be a lesson to you, first of all. Always come to a complete stop, obey the speed limit, and never consent to a search. But this should scare the hell out of us when it comes to our system of justice, that we have so many of these plea bargain cases being decided, being argued, uh, yeah, being decided based on a field drug test that a cop uses, not a chemist, not anybody with any sort of understanding of the chemistry involved, but a cop using a color test that cannot be admitted in trial. It's good enough to bust you, but not good enough to convict you. And as if that's not bad enough, the other thing that we got in this country is this we got these crime procedural shows like CSI that lead the public to believe that forensic science is this unimpeachable tool for proving guilt in court. But forensic science is only as reliable as the people that are conducting it. And unfortunately, for well over 50,000 suspects over the past decade, technicians in crime labs have been implicated in falsely convicting innocent people, not just for drugs, but for rape and murder as well. Now, some of the worst cases of these crime lab shenanigans involve forensic lab technicians who don't actually run the tests on the evidence that's suspected to be illegal drugs, but simply certify the evidence as illegal drugs by looking at it. This process is called dry labbing. And even worse are the cases where techs are planting illegal drugs into evidence that weren't there, or substituting legal drugs into evidence to replace illegal drugs that they're stealing. The biggest case that comes to mind, in Massachusetts, Annie Dukin was a former state crime lab analyst who was sentenced to three to five years in prison in 2013 for obstruction of justice, tampering with evidence, perjury, and falsification of academic records. Ms. Dukin had been dry labbing up to 500 evidence samples per month from 2009 through 2012. In court, Ms. Dukin admitted to adding cocaine to some samples that did not have cocaine in them. In January, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court refused to overturn en masse over 20,000 convictions directly related to Ms. Dukin's mishandling of evidence. Instead, 
the court has adopted a procedure to determine whether each individual case should be retried or dismissed. And this could affect up to 34,000 cases in the state of Massachusetts. In New Jersey, Camelcant Shaw was a lab tech for the New Jersey State Police who was also dry labbing his test results, affecting the criminal cases, about 14,800 criminal cases on which he worked from 2005 to 2016. Ellie Honig, the director of the Division of Criminal Justice, told county prosecutors that, quote, Mr. Shaw was observed in one case spending insufficient time analyzing a substance to determine if it was marijuana and recording an anticipated result without properly conducting the analysis, end quote. Mr. Shaw had been paid a salary of $101,039 a year and had been working as a forensic scientist for 27 years. Now, this guy has not been sentenced yet. The uh, Annie Dukin was sentenced, uh, and for three to five, she's already out of prison. The uh, uh, New Jersey lab tech hasn't been uh, tried. But for a crime lab tech to receive a three-year sentence or less is shocking. Uh, in New Jersey, a, a, a person convicted of possession with intent to distribute less than an ounce of marijuana can face 1.5 years in prison and a $25,000 fine. So if Mr. Shaw's dry labbing helped them convict even two people for selling personal amounts of marijuana, they can do that three years worth of time. In Massachusetts, cocaine is a Class B drug which carries the threat of a year in jail and a $1,000 fine, first offense, and twice that for subsequent offenses. So... If three people were convicted of possessing the cocaine, the cocaine that Ms. Dukin added to some of the clean samples, they could have done as much time combined as she did. And again, those two lab techs alone, 50,000 cases, 48,800 cases that were affected. And of course, we've also got cases where uh, the drug lab techs are stealing drugs and replacing them with over-the-counter drugs. In California, Deborah Madden worked for the San Francisco Police Department for 29 years. Uh, she affected 700 drug cases thanks to her thefts of cocaine. 25 cases already got dropped. Uh, the federal government uh, convicted her, and she got a sentence of one year of house arrest and a $5,000 fine. In Maryland, a crime scene technician was busted for heroin trafficking. <laughs> Uh, she, uh, they found two handguns, 100000 in cash, and a capsule-making machine with 125 capsules filled with heroin. In Oregon, Nika Larson worked at the Oregon State Police, uh, Central Oregon in Bend, stole more than 700 doses of morphine, hydrocodone, diazepam, methamphetamine in pill form, tramadol, and methadone. She got 36 months, despite... Her crimes affecting about 2,500 cases. And in Florida, Joseph Graves was a lab tech for the Florida State Police, 2006 to 2014, stole approximately 5,000 doses of opiates and benzos and swapped in over-the-counter pills to hide it. He got convicted and sentenced to 15 years in prison. He worked on about 2,600 cases statewide, stole evidence in about 90 of those cases, and some of those cases were dropped or the charges were reduced. Well, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned live for Hour 2, and 
Hold on tight, folks. I'm working on that website so we can get the VIP memberships so you podcast listeners can get your hour too as well. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, jokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Activism begins with ACT. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Today in the activist agenda, we take a look back at the Virginia Cannabis Conference that took place the last weekend of January. I made my way to Richmond, Virginia and spoke at the event as well as John Hudak from Brookings and Kevin Mahmalji from National Marmal. But I was most uh, joyous in meeting this next uh, guest, an activist who uh, was there both days uh, in his powered wheelchair. His name is Creed Leffler, and he's a cerebral palsy patient in Virginia who's fighting hard to uh, get them to open up and allow for the medical use of marijuana that allows him to lead a decent life. And he's a, such a strong activist and, and such a strong soul. I, I had a joy talking to him, and here's my interview with Creed Leffler, from the floor of the conference. Joined here by a very dedicated activist, a man by the name of Creed Leffler. Creed, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. Love you all. Creed is uh, uh, sitting here in his chair, and I, he was sitting next to me at the event and brought in this sign uh, that was all about uh, you know, ending the Schedule 1 designation of cannabis because he uses cannabis. Uh, is cerebral palsy, is that right? Yes. Using a cannabis to treat his cerebral palsy, and so he has a petition to tell us all about. This is on change.org, is it? Yes, it is on change. Or no, move on. Move on. Move on. Sorry, guys. That's okay. So uh, you can find Creed's uh, petition there at moveon.org. Uh, Creed and then Leffler is L E F F L E R. They can find it that way, can't they? It's hard to find, so it would be easier if you could post a link on your Twitter. That's what I'll do. You just follow me on Radical Russ, uh, and I'll post the link on Twitter so that you can sign the petition. I already signed it earlier today, uh, and uh, we'll get many, 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 many more signatures, I'm sure. If, you, if you're not cool with the Twitter or whatever, just send me an email, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. So, uh, Creed, how long have you been doing the petition and, and activism? Since May. Since May? Yes. A lot, of, a lot of response? Yes. Some good, most good 
the med. Yeah. yeah. And you were showing me some pictures of uh, the, the van wrap you're trying to put together. Is that part of your, your I, crusade? I did put a van wrap together. And I'm super excited about it. Yeah, yeah, looks great. So, uh, have you gone to the uh, uh, Virginia Assembly a lot to talk to those legislators? No, because I've just been doing it my way. Yeah, yeah. Are you going tomorrow? Yes. So this will be your first time tomorrow. No, my first time. My first time for this. Well, that's great because, uh, you know, I can go and tell people all about medical marijuana till the cows come home. And, you know, what do I know? You can tell them firsthand your story and show them how it actually helps you. Yeah. And I believe we have 2016 signatures. But I haven't looked in the count in a while. You know how many you're trying to get? Um, as many as humanly possible. Get all of them. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you're doing this and standing up for people's rights because, you know, for everyone that's like you, there's 10 more that are too afraid to stand up for it and, and, and don't want to put the effort out. So thank you for what you're doing. And one of my um, contributing Spectres is actually Miss Charlotte Pinky. Yes, little Charlotte. Yes, and I'd like to put a shout out to the Stanley Brothers and the great work that they do. Please get in contact with me. I would love to work with you. All right, level. Stanley Brothers, you heard it here first. Uh, Creed Leffler is ready to help. He's ready to work with you guys. And I might be able to get you in touch with those guys. So just email me and I'll see what I can do. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so visit moveon.org, sign Creed's petition. Let's get cannabis out of Schedule 1 so they can study it. We can get the full medical benefits that everyone deserves. Love you, radical, right? I love you too, Creed, man. Take it easy, bro. That's Creed Leffler from the state of Virginia, a great activist, uh, definitely an inspiration. Uh, you can go to moveon.org and just look for Creed Leffler, uh, C-R-E-E-D, his last name Leffler, L-E-F-F-L-E-R, and you can sign on that petition, help him out, get marijuana moved, out of Schedule 1, get some more research done on this, help people out. All right, when we come back, we've got a very, very special Greatest Hits album offer for you, exclusively, exclusively for listeners of the Russ Bellville Show. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. 
You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Enough is enough. Let's try a new way. Let's try a new policy. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you to say that. Cool. <laughs> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Remember the 80s, Rubik's Cubes, and checkered fans, new wave and hair metal? Do you remember President Ronald Reagan saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Well, now that we're building our own wall, it's time to grab those skinny ties out of the back of your closet, because the 80s are back, baby! I'm Radical Russ Belville from Rusco Records, and if you're into smoking grass, then we've got the 80s-style drug war rhetoric in a new party album you've just got to have. Oh, gnarly! You know, as a pot smoker myself, I grew up with some of the most tubular drug war rhetoric ever recorded. Our generation knew some of the greatest artists in prohibition propaganda ever. Think of Bill Snake Eyes Bennett, Robert Piss Test Prophets DuPont, and of course the great John Marijuana Unicorns Walters. Finding somebody in jail or prison for possession of marijuana is like finding a unicorn. But while our generation got to hear the Reefer Madness classics steeped in the lyrical traditions of Harry J. Anslinger, kids today have missed out. An entire generation has grown up with medical marijuana. And a president who said... I inhaled uh, frequently. That was, that was the point. And... I spent the last two years of high school in a daze. Ha! Huh, what a bummer! <laughs> now, Rusco Records brings you the greatest hits of the Just Say No decade in our latest release, Reefer Madness's Greatest Hits, The Attorney General Sessions, as performed by the hottest up-and-coming artist in Prohibition, now Attorney General Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, better known by his hip-hop name, M.C. Jeffbo. <laughs> That's right, check out these 15 totally rad tracks, dudes and dudettes. You'll love the classic sound that brings back the worst fear-mongering about cannabis with hits like, It's Not Your Father's Woodstock Weed. Marijuana is stronger today, several times stronger than the marijuana of the 1960s, and it does impact people adversely. You'll never forget the unforgettable marijuana addicts, including his smashing duet with Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga said she's addicted to it and is not harmless. And of course, one of my all-time favorites, Dane Bramage. <laughs> or this report from Northwestern University in December, last December. Study found that marijuana users have abnormal brain structure and poor memory, and that chronic marijuana use may lead to brain changes, stimulating schizophrenia, 
and you'll flip out for his MC Jeff Bo performance of the Nixon era reefer madness classic, The Gateway Theory. They go on to more serious drugs, which tends to happen. You can deny it if you want to, but it tends to happen. Uh, there'll be even greater causes. And it's false that marijuana doesn't. And don't forget his cover of the Nancy Reagan classic, Just Say No. I know it, it seems like such a simple message, Just Say No, but it's an important one. The great accomplishment. We, we moved this country from 50% of high school seniors using a, a drug, marijuana or other drug, to less than half that. Nancy Reagan, the early 1980s, formed the Just Say No program, and, and they worked and worked and crafted policies that would create a climate of hostility for the use of dangerous drugs. And, of course, don't forget the follow-up smash hit, Don't Say Yes! What I've been worried about for some time and have warned about it is that if you don't maintain that but start going in the other direction, you can expect drug use to increase. It's just that simple. And it is happening. These are the kind of things that we're going to see throughout the country, and you'll see cocaine and heroin uh, increase more than it would have, I think, had we not talked about it. Isn't it awesome? Not only do you get MC Jeff Bo's Reagan-era views on marijuana, this album also brings back the totally bitchin', tough-on-crime sound that defined the decade. You'll get the hard-hitting Death Penalty for Weed Dealers, recorded with DJ Easy Pat Leahy. Yeah, you've been some very strong views. You even mandated the death penalty for anyone convicted of a second drug trafficking offense, including marijuana, even though uh, mandatory death penalties are, of course, unconstitutional. Well, I'm not sure under what circumstances I said that, but uh, I don't think that sounds like something that I would normally say. We're glad to look at it. Would, but, you, uh, would you say that's not your view today? It is not my view today. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> and then there's the incredible artistry of defending the police seizure of cash and property from people yet to be convicted of crimes in MC Jeffbo's Asset Forfeiture Rhapsody. On December 21st, 2015, the Department of Justice chose to stop all equitable sharing payments to state and local and tribal partners under the asset forfeiture program. There's evidence in addition, virtually every time, to prove it's connected to drugs. Lots of times, half the time, they don't even show up to contest the, the seizure because they know they have no defense to it. And you'll never forget where you were the first time you heard the inspiring sweet mandatory minimums. <laughs> Attorney General Holder, the Attorney General of the United States, ordered federal prosecutors not to charge certain drug offenders with offenses that carry mandatory minimum penalties that are in law. The six-month average of drug Oh, yeah, and you'll even get the boss 80s attitude toward medical marijuana in the ballad, I Can't Commit to Not Arresting Patients, also with DJ Easy Pat Leahy. Would you use our federal resources to investigate and prosecute 
sick people who are using marijuana in accordance with their state laws, even though it might violate federal law? Well, I won't commit to never enforcing federal law. And for the hardiest listeners, MC Jeffbo brings out the big guns for the chilling, apocalyptic death metal track, What If the 60s Come Back? What if this is the beginning of another surge in drug use like we saw uh, in the 60s and 70s that led to massive problems in our community? That's right, and MC Jeff Bo also has a totally 80s message for the neo-maxi-zoom dweeby ex-president in the track, Presidential Bad Example. The president should never have said smoking marijuana. I was like smoking cigarettes. Oh, I wish I hadn't done it. That's the kind of message that people hear. you got to have leadership from Washington. You can't have the president of the United States of America talking about marijuana like it's no different than taking a drink. I used marijuana when I was in high school. It's no different than smoking. It is different. As well as the totally grody FBI director in the rollicking Marijuana's Not Funny. I was very disappointed in the Wall Street Journal article May 20th in which you... Uh, Seem to make light of marijuana use by those who'd like to work for the FBI. Do you understand that that could be interpreted as one more example of leadership in America dismissing the seriousness of marijuana use and that could uh, undermine uh, our ability to convince young people not to uh, go down a dangerous path? And we wind up this great set of 80s reefer madness hits with MC Jeff Bo's biggest chart toppers, including the seminal track, Leadership from the top. I just think it's a huge issue. I hope that you will talk with the president. You're close to him. And uh, begin to push back or pull back from this position I think is going to be adverse health of America. And I hope that you will cease to be silent. Because if if the law enforcement officers don't do this, uh, I don't know who will. And in the past, uh, uh, attorneys generals and other government officials have spoken out, and I think they kept bad decisions from being made. I believe um, Department of Justice needs to be clear. I believe the president really needs to reassert some leadership on this. I think it's really serious. And what collection of MC Jeffbo's greatest hits would be complete? Without the all-time number one hit, Good People Don't Smoke Marijuana! This drug is dangerous. You cannot play with it. It's not funny. It's not something to laugh about. And, and trying to send that message with clarity that good people don't smoke marijuana. That's right. It's all the greatest hits from the decade that brought you crack babies, mandatory minimum sentencing, the D.A.R.E. program, McGruff the crime dog, and Nancy Reagan showing up on sitcoms to tell us all to just say no. Performed by a former attorney general for the state of Alabama who was deemed too racist for the federal bench in 1986. You dick. 
Thanks to this special electoral offer, you get to enjoy these 15 reefer madness hits from the 1980s for the next four years at least. But that's not all. Order now and you can get a Secretary of Energy who got a D in a class called Meats. A Secretary of Education who's never been to a public school and thinks they need guns for grizzly bear defense. A Secretary of Health and Human Services who hates medical marijuana. A Secretary of Treasury who profited from the economy's collapse. And a Secretary of State who's a fossil fuel multimillionaire. Order within the next 15 minutes and we'll throw in a clueless president from the entertainment industry and a vice president who hates gay people to give you the complete 80s experience. And the crime and the gangs and the drugs. This American carnage stops right now. Offer not valid in Canada, eh? Make sure you get Reefer Madness Greatest Hits, the Attorney General Sessions, today! Wow, man, we gotta, we gotta start taking a look at who we're getting for advertisers on this network here. <laughs> that guy needs to lay off the rock star. Alright, we're gonna take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll have time for the Radical Rant. I'm gonna go off on these latest executive orders from... President Trump will thin skin. Back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. This is Radical Russ Belleville with a word about giving back. We're all very excited about the recent gains in marijuana reform, but while you may love the convenience of shopping for marijuana at a storefront or are lucky enough to be profiting from the green rush, it's important that you remember that you wouldn't be where you are today without the sacrifices of cannabis freedom fighters who risked everything when zero states had marijuana legalization. Join, support, and donate to your local and national drug reform organizations, including the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORMAL, at normal.org. Students for Sensible Drug Policy at ssdp.org. Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org. Americans for Safe Access at safeaccessnow.org. Drug Policy Alliance at drugpolicy.org. And Law Enforcement Action Partnership at leap.cc. This has been a public service announcement from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemies number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheating charm. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am That was the point. I think it would be a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. All right, welcome back, everybody. And today in the rant, I want to talk about uh, the president and his signing of some executive orders. 
They just uh, reported in the New York Times that uh, Jeff Sessions, Jeff Bo, <laughs> has been sworn in as Attorney General. This happened at the Oval Office uh, ceremony earlier today. And was this today or last night? Um, February 9th, yesterday. So it happened yesterday. Uh, Trump signed three new executive orders while uh, Sessions was there for the sign, uh, for the uh, uh, swearing in. And the orders he announced are to, quote, restore safety in America, break the back of the cartels, and stop, as of today, violence against the police. And uh, he got praise from Representative Robert Goodlatte of Virginia. He's the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. In a statement, he said, quote, I applaud President Trump for taking action to improve the security of our communities. President Trump's executive orders are a good first step toward restoring law and order. And I just wonder, in which company, in which country are these people living? Where is this country where we're overcome by lawlessness and disorder? I don't see that country. In fact, when I take a look at the statistics, I find that we live in a country that it's safer than ever. President Trump keeps going off about this murder rate. Supposedly the murder rate's through the roof. The homicide rate is lower than it's ever been. It continues to decline. There was a slight uptick in the last year, but nothing statistically alarming. We are so much safer now than we were in the 1990s. It's not even the same country anymore. And we see this across the board with all sorts of crime, with robbery, with arson, with everything, assaults, everything has gone down. We've become a safer country. Now, what I think is going on here is is found in that part where he says we need to stop, as of today, violence against the police. What's happened over the past at least four years has been an awakening by Americans to understand that our law enforcement is not on our side. We've come to understand that the law enforcement is there to enforce a type of class segregation in this country, and it's there to protect corporate profits in this country. And the very last thing it's there for is to protect and serve or to rehabilitate anybody. And this has been known for a long time in minority communities. It's only over the past four or five years that the rest of America has started to get this. And the number one reason why is the proliferation of the cell phone camera. This stuff's been going on for decades, people, but there was never any video proof of it. That Rodney King tape woke everyone up in the uh, early 1990s, but it was so rare, it was such a new thing to have seen police brutality like that on video, undeniable. That was, I remember when that happened and how people back then were just shocked, at least White people were shocked. (laughs) But now, you don't have to have the big bulky VHS camera at the ready to be able to tape what might be happening. Everybody's carrying a camera around with them. And this has led to us seeing some horrific video of police executing unarmed citizens. This, of course, led to the Black Lives Matter movement, to protests in Ferguson and Baltimore and throughout the country and a continued push from the last administration to reduce the effects of mass incarceration, 
to deal with the issue of mandatory minimum sentencing, to back off on the punitive war on drugs that disproportionately affects minority communities. And to the perception of the Trump voter, to the perception of that so-called silent majority in middle America, that very homogenous group there, in their perception, crime and lawlessness have gone crazy because they see all these mostly black and Latino people marching, angry, and, and they see tear gas, and they see riot police coming out, and they feel like the order they live within is falling apart. They feel like they don't understand what's happening around them anymore. And Trump, to his cynical credit, has, has nurtured that and has fed off that. He's built an entire winning campaign off of the fears and perceptions of those people. And this is why I get frustrated sometimes when uh, those of us on the progressive side of the ledger, whether we're you know progressive libertarian types or progressive liberal types, it's so difficult to get across sometimes that the facts don't matter. That's, I think that's one area where our side fails, and that is trying to fight the battles as if facts, science, reason, and logic mattered. If that were the case, Trump wouldn't be president right now. People vote and people react to public policy uh, uh, proposals emotionally and with feeling and what they perceive to be real. So for those middle Americans, those alt-right types or the people that lean that direction, to see the empowerment of gay people, the empowerment of transgender people, the empowerment of minorities and immigrants and Muslims, and to see them being accepted and tolerated scares the living hell out of them. And so Trump's going to jump into the rescue to restore safety to America. There's not, there's not a safety that needs to be restored in America. We haven't had a major uh, uh, terrorist attack uh, since 9-11. We've had a few of these shootings. Of course, they want to back off on what the cause of those are because you notice that the uh, Trump administration has directed their counterterrorism and extremism people to focus only on Muslim extremism, no more focus on white nationalist groups, which we can point to having more of a terrorist effect in this country. But I digress. President Trump's going to jump in and stop, as of today, the violence against the police. And, of course, we all were shocked. I was shocked to see what went down in Dallas where those cops were ambushed and shot. That's not the answer. That's not what we want to see. But to be surprised by that, to be shocked by that, after decade after decade after decade of institutionalized violence against the people by the police, I don't support it. But I understand it. And this is something that uh, is frightening about this whole scenario, is that as the aggrieved populations react with violence, with rioting, with shooting of cops, that only feeds more fuel to the, the Trumps of the world, to these autocrats and demagogues of the world, who want to paint this as a us versus them, a black versus white, a uh, liberal versus progressive sort of war. That's that's the, the frightening side of this to me. And Trump is moving forward with this. You know, they're, they're bringing back um, the, the first uh, executive order is one that's supposed to uh, crack down on the international criminal cartels. 
If you've heard some of Trump's rhetoric over the past couple days talking about the scourge of drugs and the drugs that are flowing over the border and we've got to control the border because all the drugs are poisoning our youth, don't forget that that means pot. I I talked about these stats yesterday where they've only seized 1,000 or 2,000 pounds of heroin or cocaine coming from, uh, or heroin or meth coming from Mexico, 135,000 pounds of of cocaine and 4.3 million pounds of marijuana. When they talk about the drugs that are flowing over the border, the vast majority of those drugs are marijuana. So if you're thinking that there's some sort of marijuana exception to this drug war rhetoric you're hearing out of Attorney General uh, Sessions and out of President Trump, you got another thing coming. We are returning to the drug war of the 80s. A couple of the other uh, uh, executive orders, one's on reducing crime, the other one's on preventing violence against law enforcement officials. Now, this is something, you've seen a few of these states that want to try to come up with these so-called Blue Lives Matter bills. Folks, we already establish that blue lives matter. In every state I can think of, and I don't know that there's any exceptions, it is a far greater crime to kill a law enforcement officer or assault a law enforcement officer than it is to assault a civilian or kill a civilian. In fact, blue lives matter so much, those blue lives can be dogs. You can get the same sort of punishment for assaulting a police dog You can get a far worse punishment for assaulting a police dog than another human being who's not a police officer. So we already know the Blue Lives Matter. They've already got that special protection. These executive orders and these new laws and bills designed to further exalt our police officers above everyone else's life are redundant and unnecessary. We've got this notion that cops are under attack because of these scurrilous and heinous attacks that have happened. We had the the, the cops in uh, uh, Vegas that were gunned down. We had the ones in Brooklyn that were uh, attacked. We had uh, uh, the Dallas thing that we just recently mentioned. All of those terrible, terrible events. But if you check out the FBI's stats, Leoka is the name of this stat. It's the law enforcement officers killed or assaulted. L-E-O-K-A. Google that. Leoka will tell you It's never been a safer time to be a police officer. In fact, police officer doesn't even rank in the top 10 of the most dangerous jobs out there. Commercial fisherman, logger, these jobs are construction, far more dangerous than the police officer job. We're always told to, uh, we're always given this idea that we're supposed to have this utmost respect for the cops because, boy, they... They go out that morning and they don't know if they'll be coming back. Well, statistically speaking, they're pretty likely to be coming back compared to other jobs out there. They're like number 15 or 16 in the ranks of the most dangerous jobs. So Trump and his administration are going to continue to fan the flames of this idea that we live in this crazy crime-ridden America, uh, that police officers are under attack, that we're living in anarchy and disorder, and that's going to become the justification for all sorts of crackdowns on free speech, on free assembly, hell, maybe even martial law. I'm telling you, folks, I'm a student of history, and I feel we are getting into that 1968 territory in American history, the, the year of my birth. 
when there were riots, when there were uh, the uh, Chicago Convention uh, protests, when there was the assassination of MLK and RFK, and 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 all of the the, the riots and unrest and protest, uh, we are headed to that level of unrest in America, of that level of division in America, and we are only three weeks into Trump's administration. It's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. And it's going to be very important for us in the marijuana movement to understand that we are now playing defense. We can no longer afford to have our little internecine battles between ourselves over medical or CBD or decrim or legalization or spiritual or or what or hemp or whatever the, the group you might be in. We're all together now. We're all the attacked minority now. It's time for us to band together and fight to hold on to every reform that we've made so far. It's going to be a tough battle, but we'll do it together. And I'll give you as many of, as, of the resources as I can to make that possible. That sound, though, means that we're done with hour one. Time flies when you legalize. If you live listeners, stay tuned for hour two coming up next here. We're going to uh, take you out to Massachusetts where a TV station caught video of an elusive pot squatch. That's right, pot squatch. Also coming up in hour two, uh, we'll get the Colorado industry reactions to Jeff Sessions and a look at New York's medical marijuana program, plus an international look at countries that start with the letter I. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ Belville. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you manage